Good morning. The reading for today is from 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you very much. You know, during the greeting time, I uh, gave Mackenzie a fist bump, and it hurt. She's got a powerful, powerful fist. Uh, Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors. I'm excited to bring God's word to us this morning. I have a quick family business update announcement regarding a few of our staff to fill in the needs that we currently have regarding our communities and worship leadership. If you didn't know, we had a, a leadership change there. And so our desire in thinking through all of this stuff is to be as unhurried and prayerful as we possibly can. And at this point, the elders and pastors agree that these changes that I'm about to share do set us up well for what's next for our church, whatever's next. So since we didn't want to hire a direct replacement for Tyler Thompson's role, and he did, he was the pastor of worship and communities, since we didn't want to do a direct replacement for now, we shuffled around a few of the staff roles to cover those responsibilities. We want to make sure you know about those things. And in so doing, we actually created some new opportunities for further growth and leadership for our staff, which we love doing whenever possible. So first, Trey Fraley, he was up here hosting uh, the first thing this morning. He was rocking the bass this morning as well. He's been on staff full-time, as our, there he is, as our next-gen pastor since September 2020. And as God has been giving him more and more of a heart and opportunity to serve in a new context, we're excited to welcome him as our new family pastor, which will be stepping into more this month. So we're really excited for him and his family. Now, as for youth ministry, Trey will oversee kids and youth ministries, and we're in a process to hire a new part-time students director to work under Trey, and things are moving along nicely there. But mainly, we want you to know, kids and youth are still a really high priority for us. We want you to know that. So Zach Hines, you might know him. He's been a pastoral resident with us for the past year and a half, working in in youth ministry primarily. Zach has a huge heart for outreach. He studied briefly criminal justice before getting his master's at Phoenix Seminary. He'll be stepping in as the outreach and communities pastoral resident. He's got the longest title of of all of us. But he's going to remain as a resident and work part-time with us, at least for the next little while while he finishes up school. And he'll be working with Andrea, another one of our part-time staff, serving the church together to serve outreach and create those partnerships and opportunities for us, and to meet our community group needs and help minister to those leaders and groups and make sure those thrive. And so with Tyler Thompson's exit, we needed to make some changes regarding the staffing structure of our worship ministry needs, which brings me to First Malia Rogers. 
We've seen Malia's gifting in that area of worship. We've been so blessed by her in those ways. She's also gifted in many other ways. And she's shown a deep, deep well of personal faith in prayer and spiritual formation in general, and increasingly a heart for caring for the women in our church. And so we want to see those ministries continue to grow and flourish in our church. And so starting this month, she'll be slowly stepping in as our full-time prayer and women's director. So we're excited to see her grow and develop those gifts as well. And we do desire to see her continue to bless us through worship once some time is given for adjusting to the new demands of the job. And this means Caleb is staying on with us as our worship director working on both Sundays and the incredible Arcadia Worship Music Ministry. That last song we did was from those efforts, a ministry he's been building the last couple years. And so I'll be overseeing him directly in the area of worship. You might hear that and go, wait, why you? That makes no sense. Well, in another life, I was actually a worship leader, and I have about 10 years of experience as a worship leader, so it does kind of make sense. So you could say in some ways that I'll be stepping in as the pastor of worship, although not in title, and you won't see me up here leading worship. You don't want that anyway, trust me. So I'll be working with him pastorally as he leads the ministry as a director. So as for me, I'm going to remain on as the executive pastor. I'm not going anywhere. And so uh, I'll be overseeing our staff operations and events, and I'll be taking lead on the building project as that ramps up, which is really exciting. So lastly, I just would say, as always, with any of these changes like these, it's not always easy. There's lots of layers to it. So please be patient and prayerful with us as we ramp up into those things. And please do reach out to me or any of the other elders or pastors with any questions or feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, so with that said, let's dig into God's word this morning. Turn with me, if you would, if you're not already, to the book of 1 John chapter 4. If you haven't been with us, we've been working through this incredible letter of 1 John, an almost 2,000-year-old letter, and you can find that in the backs of your Bible if you're trying to figure out where it is. And from this short letter, just five chapters, we've been hearing 10 weeks now and counting of encouragements for the church to hold fast to what you know, to be assured that for those who are in Christ, to Christians, you can have confidence in your salvation. What a gift that is. You can be confident in your prayers. You can find forgiveness and even advocacy in and from Jesus Christ for our sins and more. And in this letter, as we've studied, we find more evidence, more encouragements that the word of God as we have it here today is still good. It's still true. And it's still worth building your life upon. And so we're going to do just that today, same as we do every week. We're going to dig into God's word together and see what he has for us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and what a gift it is, Lord. We pray that this, uh, that this sermon, this, this study would be glorifying to you, God. Help me to communicate the beauty that I found in your word and studying it so deeply. Uh, it's been such a gift to me. So Lord, help me to be faithful to communicate that gift and that grace to your people this morning. God, we pray that this would be an encouragement, uh, a reminder of your goodness, God. Fill us with your peace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So since the flow of thought here in verse 1 continues from the previous verse, let's start by reading there first. First in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Verse 1, beloved, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We'll pause there. There's so much there already. But here we have this interesting phrase, test the spirits. Test the spirits. That's the main idea for the the sermon today and in this passage. Test the spirits. Spirit in, in the English is mentioned eight times here in just this passage. Eight times. And in each usage, if you begin to look through those, you'll see we have different references on exactly who's being talked about with this word spirit. And the first clue to those reference points is the capitalization of spirit, capital S, and spirit, lowercase s. Look at verse 24, the spirit. And then verse 1, we have lowercase spirit, and then even spirits, more than one. So I mentioned last week that verse 24 is the first mention directly of the Holy Spirit by name. And it's like saying this, it sparks a new thought in John that the spirit that's in us, in Christians, isn't the only spirit at work in the world today. The spirit in us, he's saying, is not the only spirit at work in the world. And we ought to be sure how to tell which is which. Spirit from spirit. Now, I want to acknowledge the two main realities being talked about and assumed here in verse 1 with this word spirits. There is both a physical and, of course, spiritual reality to these. So first, in the physical sense, it's referring to real people who speak false things about Jesus and the Bible, saying, no, 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 this is true. It's real people saying that. And we need to know how to discern and fight those things. That's, that's the first reality. But obviously, the greater reality here is it is acknowledging that there is a real spiritual realm surrounding us and at work in the world and around us. Now, this is certainly including demonic spirits and forces, satanic spirits, Satan himself. That's all included here in the assumption of the reality of those things as well. And maybe this is a topic you're unsure about or unfamiliar with or or nervous to even talk about. But the Bible does speak about the spiritual forces at work in the world today as an unseen reality. But is that so hard to believe? Ask anyone who's done work in other parts of the world, especially outside the U.S., and especially missionaries seeking to share the gospel, the hope of Jesus, to those areas. If you went and visited those areas denying the reality of the spiritual realm, you'd be laughed at over there. You would. But what's going on there? Are they less enlightened than us? Are they less smart than us? Are they the ones being deceived, or are we? Are we more blinded to this reality than we realize? I would argue that our culture is quite obsessed with the spiritual world. You know, Barna is a research group. They did a study just last year of over 2,000 people. And 80% of them were at least pretty sure there's a spiritual dimension in the world. So we've got the stats there. 50% are like, yes, definitely. 30 are like, "Mm, I don't know, but yeah, probably. So 80% of the people surveyed are at least pretty sure there is a spiritual dimension in the world. Think about that. What is it that they're believing in exactly by this spiritual dimension? 
Interestingly, there's an older survey that Barna did in which they found that almost 60% of Christians doubt the existence of Satan or hell. 60%. Now, that study was from 2009. I bet that number is higher today. Now, it's easy to understand why. When, when I took a seminary class where Wayne Grudem talked about the doctrine of hell, he started it by this. He said, this is the hardest doctrine to understand. It's so hard to believe. They're not easy doctrines, but they are taught clearly in Scripture about Satan and hell. And so the point of this is, yes, broadly, there is widespread belief in this spiritual realm, but little belief in an actual Satan working in the world. That disconnect is interesting, isn't it? And so as we start to look at these things, what is that reaction that you have internally to all this? Denial, blow it off, fear, fascination. There's all kinds of reactions. So here's a great easy test for us, ready, on, on what exactly we think the reality of this is. To those who have seen a certain movie that came out recently, you might have seen a trailer before that movie for a certain movie coming out around October 13th. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? Coming out October 13th is a sequel to the original 1973 Exorcist movie. Exorcist, Revelation. And the trailer is intense. It really is. Now, if you saw that, or even just hearing about it now, what's your reaction to hearing that? Because it is intense. Now, maybe you're hearing that and you go, ooh, that's interesting. I'm a movie person. I'm like, I'm like Freddie Pignon. He comes to the 1045. He's a big movie guy, and he's like, oh, I'm there. Or maybe you go, oh, I don't, I don't want to mess with, with whatever that is. I, I would say probably the majority of us go, oh, no, nope. I'm not, I'm not messing with that. You might even close your eyes during the trailer, which one of our staff admitted that she did. The point is, that's not just a Christian thing. That's the reaction in culture broadly. Some people eat it up, and others want nothing to do with it. Don't even, don't even talk to me about it. Why? Well, because it's scary. There's, there's an element of reality to that, or at least that's what we're afraid of. If we watch that is there an element of reality? I don't even want to deal with any of that. That's scary. Now, I'm not going to talk about whether or not exorcisms in the way they're portrayed in movies like this are real or not. You'll have to buy me a coffee if you want me to unpack all that. But our text today is concerned merely with the acknowledgement of the reality of this unseen spiritual realm, including demons and Satan at work in the world today. The point is, the vast majority of our culture today, Christian and non-Christian, think there is at least some truth to the reality of the spiritual realm. It's even kind of cool, isn't it, today, to be like, oh, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a spiritual person. Don't ask me to define it, I just am. Now, it's easy to admit that maybe there are good spirits in the world, lots of those, yeah, love, love but maybe there's one or two bad ones, but let's just not think too much about that. But ask them anything about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God from the Bible, and they go, no, no, you're crazy. You're crazy. Literally anything goes, define it however you want, except how Scripture defines it. Until you mention Jesus, and then it's like, okay, okay, hold on. Jesus was offensive in his day, and he's still offensive today. Okay, so what are we to do with this, 
this information? Does it even matter whether or not we're aware of spirits at work in the world? Does it matter for my everyday walk with the Lord? Should I, as a Christian, avoid things like the Exorcist movie? If Satan's real and he's working in the world, should I be looking for him under every rock? Is he to blame for every struggle I have with sin? And so first of all, you and I both know we don't need Satan's help to sin. We've got that down on our own. And we can't make him the scapegoat for all of our sin in that way. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So what do we do with this? In my neighborhood, a couple streets away, uh, streets away we found this by just walking around and getting to know the neighborhood a little bit. There's a coven in our neighborhood. It's a meeting place for witches to hang out and practice spells. It's like a community group for witches. So what do I do with that as a Christian? Do I, do I laugh it off? Should I get all of my Bibles? Let's get every Bible in the house, stack them up, and I'll bring a trumpet, and we'll just walk around it seven times, and maybe, maybe something will happen there. Or do I just wash my hands of it all and just say, ah, I'm just going to let God figure that out? Could I be falling victim to a demonic plan already by doubting the significance of this in the first place? Now, I think our text today will have an encouragement or two for us along those lines. So far, Scripture is saying, yes, there are, it's assuming, yes, there are spiritual forces at work in the world. And they are speaking to you and me and to the world. Some truth, some lies. Some are from God, some are false prophets. And Christians, with the spirit in us, should test whether or not what we're hearing is truth before believing it. Because our own tests for truth aren't really a great metric. We might go based on what feels true or not. My gut says that's not right. Or no, my gut says that's good, that's right, I'm going to believe that. Or how about this one, that makes sense to us. Based on what we already know, yeah, that adds up. Let's, let's go by that or not. Is it something that benefits me? If believing in that helps me out in some way or hurts me in some way, let's use that. Or perhaps the worst one, is this normal? Is this something a lot of people believe in and therefore, yeah, there must be some truth to it? Or not, if it's something no one believes in and, and you get the point. Tests like those can lead us down a wrong path. We can be easily misled by what we hear if we use statements like those only. John says we need a new test, a better test. And he gives us that in verses 2 and 3. Let's read those together. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John says here in verse 2 that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that is not from God. Confession in the physical reality of Jesus is the, is the key to testing what we hear. Does this message affirm the reality of Jesus come in the flesh? If the answer is no, or not even an obvious yes, then don't, don't believe it. Throw it out. It seems interesting, doesn't it, that this is the mark of truth? It's so specific. He like narrows it down to this one thing mentioning the flesh. 
Remember, John here is speaking to Christians. He's trying to root out false teachers that have come into the church who are trying to make sense of their faith through the lens of their Greek-informed thinking that the body is bad and the spirit is good. We've talked about this at length. Thinking, well, Jesus must not have come in the flesh. That doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? He probably came as a spirit, and it just looked like flesh to us. This is a false teaching that John is trying to correct the church's thinking on. Now, more than just talking about what not to believe, what to say no to, we as the church must understand the beliefs that we are to hold fast to. Mainly a biblical view of the flesh, the body, a high view of the body. You might remember back in January when Pastor Frank talked about what we, the church, need to press deeper into, need to be resolved into. And one, it was the word of God. We stand on it as truth. We hold fast to it. And then second, he said, we need to hold a high view of the body. You remember this? We need to hold a biblical and right understanding of the body as it comes under more and more scrutiny inside and outside of the church. Our faith is an incarnational one. The doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus is one of the most incredible, mind-blowing events to ever happen. Incarnation, the study of that is the embodiment, literally the enfleshment of Jesus, he took on flesh. Think about this. The incarnation of Jesus was not a temporary thing. He didn't do this for a while to see what it's like to experience humanity for a while, only to shed that going back into heaven. No, there's a resurrected human in heaven right now. The incarnation of Jesus is a permanent state. That's pretty amazing. Now, Sam Alberry, he's a, a pastor and a, a theologian and an author. He talks about this in his book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. I've got a copy in the back on the desk if you want to flip through it before you go. In this, he unpacks a fuller idea of this picture. And I would definitely recommend it for you as a resource if you want to dig deeper into what, what we mean when we say we need to have a high view of the body. He gets into all that. It's approachable. It's short. It's not very academic or anything like that. There's even an audiobook, and Sam, uh, the author, uh, he reads it himself. He narrates it, and he's got a little British accent, which is just fun. It's just fun to listen to, so give it a try. Now, as to why you should read that book, or why you should understand a biblical view of the body, I would say because it affects how you think about your body. It affects how you treat your body, how sin affects your body, the decisions you make every day. It affects how you treat your neighbor, the poor around us. It affects how we engage in culture, especially around topics of sexuality, which is more and more part of the, the cultural uh, conversation. Now, practically, I run into this all the time with couples in premarital counseling who look at me in shock and discomfort when I ask about their sexual purity in their relationship. Are you abstaining from all forms of sexual intimacy before marriage, I'll say. And they'll look at me and go, are, are you some kind of perv? Like, why are you asking this? Why do you need this detail? And it's not that I care about that, but that God does. And to which they'll say, well, why would God care about that? 
does that really matter? I know there's something written about it in scripture, but does that, like, was that serious? Statements like that, beliefs like that, hold a fundamental misunderstanding of the incarnation of Jesus. Here's why. It's as if God, whose spirit, cares nothing about the physical. Why would he care what I do with my body? But Jesus, they forget, took on flesh. We forget. And when you hold a low view of the body, contrary to the biblical one, you end up believing all kinds of false narratives about the body, even damaging beliefs about yourself and others. What's permissible, what's not, what's good, what's not, what's true, what's not. And here goes the pastor again, right? Telling us the rules of what we can and can't do with our bodies. You're missing the point. This is about elevating the view of the body as something higher than merely impulses, momentary pleasures. Does God get a say in what you do with your body? What wins in those moments, the impulses and desires or God? Because God didn't just redeem your spirit, church. He redeemed your body. Our physical body is called a temple of God. That's not just a metaphor. The spirit lives within our body. When we obey God's commands, it doesn't make sense if we only do it in our mind. Yes, I understand rightly, but can do whatever I want. No, obedience to God includes your body. Now, Jesus, when he restored people, he restored them not just spiritually, but physically. He healed, even resurrected bodies from the dead. And we too, of course, one day will be resurrected bodily like Jesus. So Jesus has a high view of the body, the physical body. So does the word of God, and so should we. Let's talk more about this test that John gives. If we could, let's reread verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So let's talk about this Antichrist stuff. If you hear that word Antichrist and you immediately start thinking of the end times, there is a nod to that in here. But he's not really talking about that exactly. He's trying to redirect our attention to discerning present-day Antichrists. Now, using Antichrist here is a clear callback to chapter 2, where John unpacks the idea that there are actually many Antichrists working in the world today. Now, this is what he's reinforcing. And so, yes, the end of verse 3 mentions it's something we heard was coming. Yes, it is coming. But it's in the world now. It's already here. So it's a redirecting of your attention to now. Now, Antichrist here is referring to anyone or any spirit that speaks a word against God or the truth of God. It's literally, simply, anti-Christ. Now, the work of anti-Christ began as soon as Christ appeared. It began as soon as he appeared, and it's still going on today. There are spirits, Satan and demons at work in the world, speaking potentially deceitful things to me, to you. Why? What are some of those false things that they speak to us? There's this great little book. I know this is the second book I'm recommending, but, but this one's easy. This one's really small. It's like the size of a postcard. It's called, Did the Devil Make Me Do It? by Mike McKinley. What a fun little title that is. 
in it, he gives us a helpful list of some of the things that these antichrist demonic spirits are seeking to accomplish. This is what they're trying to do. So how does Satan work in the world? First, Satan inflicts physical harm and emotional turmoil on people. He seeks to do harm, especially to Christians. So the first thing he does is attack and cause fear. Number two, Satan is a liar, and he works through false teachers. This is what John's talking about here. And false religions to deceive Christians into believing things that are false about God and sin. And he blinds unbelievers to the truth about Jesus. He is a deceiver. Tempting. Satan would love to entice people into sin by playing to their natural desires. Tempting Christians even to believe lies about the nature of their sin. And lastly, on this just very brief list here, Satan would love to frustrate and discourage. He seeks to prevent God's servants from accomplishing their plans. He stirs up opposition to Christ wherever he's able to. I shared this with the staff a couple weeks ago, but one of the things uh, that my family has to always be ready for as we minister on Sunday is preparing ourselves on Saturday because Satan would love to discourage on Saturday in, in preparation of Sunday. This is just, we call it the Saturday blues or something. We, we just need to be ready on Saturdays. Now, we'll talk more about how to be on guard against these things in a moment, but so far, just want to pulse check, we've talked about the Exorcist movie, Satan and demons, spirits and antichrist working in the world. How are we doing on all that? It's like John can sense that same thing that we're feeling. If you look at the first word of verse 4, what does he say? Little children. He, he slows down right here. He gives his term of endearment, like a father speaking a word of comfort to a child who's afraid. Let's read verses 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Who's he talking about? Who's them? The spirits, right? You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The world eats it up. Verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit in you, Christian, is greater than the spirit of the world, than he that's in the world, referencing Satan himself. How incredible is that? Verse 4 is one of those beautiful gems in Scripture, the whole thing. Now, verse 6 gives us, really interestingly, a fuller picture of how we're to recognize false teachers. John says, anyone who does not listen to us. Who's he referring to with us? He's referring to himself and the apostles, the author of Scripture, the Bible. So included in the testing of spirits is to be all of Scripture. You see that? Meaning anything scripture affirms as truth or lie must agree with whatever it is that we're hearing. Scripture has to affirm it. Because if you go back and you think that it's just the confession of Christ in the flesh alone, then the LDS church would pass. If you asked a Mormon whether or not they believe Jesus came in the flesh, they'd say, yeah, yeah, we believe that. But the LDS church is a false religion because they don't believe in the gospel 
the full word of God. They chop it up. They pick and choose, add to it here and there. And they lead many away ultimately towards what is a false Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a, God, it's a false Jesus that looks nice, sounds nice. Mormons are nice people, but that's not the metric that we can use to define truth. We can't base truth on those sentiments. It's not truth because it's not Christ as he said he was. So in this passage and elsewhere, when discerning truth and falsities, an appeal is made to the gospel as a whole, the fullness of the story of Jesus, who he said he was, what he did, all of which is written here in your hands. Any spirit that speaks a word contrary to this scripture is the spirit of the Antichrist. And how, church? How? How can we discern and test the spirits unless we read our Bibles? Read it regularly, deeply, often memorizing it, building our lives on it. And not just that, but keeping involved in the church the community of God that's built on the Bible. Not just coming once in a while, but, but being part of it, being involved deeply. Because in that, we find relationships with one another, we sharpen one another, we challenge one another, we encourage one another. The point of all of this today is the word of God. We must be able to discern rightly if what we're hearing is from God or not. But the Bible includes language not just on this reactive approach, how to take what you're hearing and react to it well. But we can also have a more proactive approach, too. Ephesians 6 famously gets into this armor of God section, right? In it includes the shield of faith. We talked about this last week. It's trust, belief, and the sword of the Spirit. So epic. The sword of the Spirit. The Spirit in us. The sword of that which is the Word of God, it says in Ephesians. So we must ready ourselves by knowing God's word, having it ready on our tongues, ready in our minds, so that when attack comes, when lies come, when false narratives come, we have an answer ready. If you look back at verse 4, that, that gem, notice how active the language is in there. Little children, you are from God. You have overcome these spirits. Be encouraged that you're not at the mercy of demonic forces in the world, church. You need not fear, but we also mustn't be gullible either. Jesus reminds us in John 16, using language similar, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. He's conquered the world. And in Christ, we have conquered the spirits of the Antichrist already. It's done. We must remember this when we're fearful Uh, when we see lists of Satan's work in the world, when we think about movies like The Exorcist, yes, it's Hollywood. Yes, it's meant to be frightening, but the Spirit of God does not struggle in the way that that movie shows to war against demonic forces as if it's 50-50. Who's going to win? Who knows? Now, if you look in Scripture, every time Jesus interacts with demons, he always has total authority and power every time the demons ask him permission to do things knowing they have no say church that's the spirit in us and those who abide in jesus need only resist the devil right and he will what flee there's power in the name of jesus the truth of jesus the word of god the truth of jesus is all the weapon we need on the cross jesus overcame the world 
as he says. Now, this is, there's this amazing exchange on the way to the cross between Jesus and Pilate in John 18, 37. And Jesus is getting passed around back and forth. Pilate, in particular, is trying to find a reason to crucify him. Every time he asks, he's like, I don't find any fault with this guy. So as Pilate's uh, interviewing Jesus, he says to him in verse 37, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I love how he just, he turns that every time. Here's what he says. For this purpose, I was born. Remember our, our talk on the incarnation. This is why I took on flesh. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So church, where do we find truth? The words of Jesus himself. And Pilate says to him, this amazing question, the Bible just leaves it hanging. Pilate says to him, what is truth? What is truth? So church, where do we get truth? Where can the world find truth from the words of Jesus? And scripture tells us that the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is God's words. Jesus is the word. Jesus is truth. And here's the irony. As Pilate asks this question to Jesus, what is truth? Ironically, he asks that while he's looking directly into the face of truth personified. Jesus says, my people know my voice. He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. My sheep know my voice. And here he says in John 18, they listen to my voice, my voice. We must learn to recognize the voice of Jesus if we are to discern truth. Let's pray. God, uh, Jesus, we thank you that you are truth personified. And in this text in 1 John and, and over and over, I think about the beginning of the gospel of John, the beginning of 1 John, over and over. Jesus, you are the word of God. You are truth. Lord, would you speak to us a word of truth? Convince us, Lord, of truth. Help us to rightly discern the messages that we hear. Help us to weigh it against scripture, Lord. Make us a people of your word. And thank you, God, that, that in you, Jesus, we have conquered already. This is something that you've accomplished. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that has not put their faith in you and uh, does not have that kind of confidence, Lord, I pray that you would um, build this desire in them to come forward and confess, even for the first time, their need for you, God. And in that moment, your spirit will indwell them and build towards this confidence in you, God. Would you build that work in us, Christians, Today, too, God, we gather every week because we need you, God. We, we declare our dependence on you, Jesus, and we ask that we would be people of your word and people of truth. So, Lord, meet us here as we respond now in Jesus' name. Amen.